Does God desire our trust more than our correct beliefs? That's the central theme of Dr. Peter Entz's book, The Sin of Certainty, published by Harper One. Hi, my name is Dan Dick, and welcome to Church Matters. My guest today is Dr. Peter Entz, author of The Sin of Certainty. He is a biblical scholar who teaches and writes on the intersection of Bible and contemporary Christian faith. He has written or edited over a dozen books and many articles and essays on topics pertaining to the Bible and Christian faith. Dr. Entz teaches at Eastern University in St. David's, Pennsylvania. He is married to Sue and has three adult children. We reached him via Skype. Welcome, Dr. Entz. Thank you, Dan. And thank you for pronouncing my name in the good old Mennonite way. Everybody, ever, you, you said Entz, which of course is really technically how you pronounce it, but most people say Entz with a Z at the end. So well, thank you. From, from the bottom of my immigrant parents' hearts, uh, that's wonderful to hear. Peter, the main thesis of your book, The Sin of Certainty, is that God desires our trust more than our correct beliefs. What is wrong with correct beliefs? Well, there's nothing wrong with correct beliefs. Uh, the, the, the problem, though, is that when we place our trust in the certainty of those correct beliefs, uh, life can happen, life can get in the way, things can happen, you can meet new people, you know, watch a movie, read a book, whatever, and, and that, those, that system of beliefs that we have can be challenged. And if we equate our faith with holding on with certitude to these um, intellectual beliefs, let's call them, uh, eventually that's going to crumble because life is not nice and fair, and we find out, even like biblical writers found out, that sometimes things don't work according to script, and then what do you do? If God desires our trust more than our correct beliefs, then what do we do with all those uh, biblical values we've been taught since Sunday school? Well, I think, you know, let me, let me take a step back so there's, you know, really no misunderstanding at all. In the book, what I'm saying is that, you know, people come to points in their lives where they say to themselves, I'm just not sure what I believe anymore. And I think that is an invitation to venture forth in an attitude of trust in God to work those things out. Um, that's very different from saying beliefs don't matter, or if God doesn't care about our beliefs, why should we worry about morality and things like that? I'm talking more to people who are having actual crisis, and they've gotten to a point where they've been taught their whole lives you have to believe this, 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 and this, and if you don't, God's very unhappy with you. And they might respond, well, I'm just not sure what I believe. I want to, but I'm just not sure what I do believe. Well, actually, you're on a journey at that point. Um, you're not broken. You don't need to be fixed. Uh, you don't uh, need to think that you're somewhat a second-class citizen in the Christian faith. You're at a point where you're questioning some things, and maybe even bedrock things that you were always told you have to believe in. And sometimes you have to let go of that to go through this process of growing in faith where you come to trust in God, and that's more important than being right. That doesn't mean that all beliefs are out the window or unimportant to God, but it's a matter of priorities, I think. It's a matter of, you know, what do you put first and what do you put second? I know I've, I've experienced this myself in my own life, my own attitude, and I've been at the other end of this as well from others, where putting a system of beliefs first, it can make you sort of angry and very judgmental of other people and very unwilling to sort of see how the other person is thinking and feeling and what they're experiencing. I think that's, that's a backwards emphasis, whereas I think 
first and foremost, what we are is in relationship with God and then relationship with each other. And I think that's a good starting point. And when those beliefs don't always hold together the way we're used to having them hold together, that's okay. That happens to people in the life of faith. That's actually normal. That happens eventually to people, sometimes for, you know, like a Mother Teresa, like 40-some-odd years, she was living in the state of just being uncertain about things and not feeling God's presence. Sometimes it's that long, sometimes it's not. But that's, that's a normal and even, I'd say, biblical expression of the Christian faith. The odds are that we are going to experience something terrible in our lives, and that can challenge our trust in God. Are Christians afraid to trust God, do you think? Well, that's that's a very good question. Um, you know, I, I try to shy away from, you know, grand statements about what Christians do or don't do, because there are so many different kinds of Christians and, and, and how they navigate this world that we live in. But mm. certainly it's my experience that... Um, when we when we say we're trusting in God, we're actually trusting in what we believe about God, and that's sort of what we hold on to. Now, we're only human beings. We can't help but live in the world of our heads where we have ideas and thoughts about God, and those things are all fine. It's when they become the substitute for the real thing. And in that sense, I think it is scary for people to sort of say, listen, I'm not really sure if I can, quote, rely on my belief system like I used to, but I'm going to really try to trust God here. That is a very scary proposition, and it is. I'm not, I'm not belittling that process. I think it's very frightening for people um, because you're letting go of certainty. You're letting go of intellectual certainty, which is the very thing that many people are told they need to hold on to in order to be really Christian. See, that's, that's the point of my book. I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on that process and saying, no, God's okay with the fact that we might not be sure about things. But what we can do, what God desires more, is that we continue to trust. And if we can't trust, you know, like Thomas Merton said, we try to trust. And if we don't really want to trust, we pray that God makes us want to trust. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> you're always coming back to that submission to God not to submission to our ideas about God. I think sometimes, uh, and I know this is true for me, I fear that if I trust God, I may be getting uh, some information or request or call that I don't like or agree with. <laughs> you don't like. You know, that reminds me of a great story, which happens to be in the Bible, Habakkuk. Um, the prophet is complaining to God about, listen, the priests are corrupt, the leaders are corrupt. Oh, Lord, when will you come and do something about this? You know, and it's like, be careful what you ask for, because the next word out of God's mouth is, I'm going to do something in your midst you wouldn't believe if I even told you. I'm going to send the Babylonians to sack Jerusalem. <laughs> and Habakkuk says, yeah, that's not exactly what I had in mind, <laughs> right? You know, and it's true. Like, if, if we, I mean, trusting God is a frightening proposition on various levels, because we're no longer in control. And we want to stay in control, and, and we don't know what God is going to require. And... You know, I, I respect deeply people who say, I'm just not sure what else to do anymore. I'm just going to trust God that no matter where I go, no matter what happens, that God is with me, and I'm going to do the best that I can. To me, that's a tremendous—see, to me, that's a tremendous assertion of faith and trust, although some would interpret that as a weak sign, a sign of a weak faith, because you're not sure. You have probably by now run into skeptics of your message. What do you say to them? Well, I think one criticism of the book, and again, you know, when you write about 
this stuff, you're going to get criticized. That's just the way it is. So um, the fact of criticism is not a problem. But I think, um, you know, a common criticism by my more conservative readers is, ends is just throwing doctrine out the window, and it doesn't matter what you believe. And if you read the book, you'll find that's not what I'm saying. I'm actually talking about a different topic. But, you know, what we believe about God, what we believe about the life of faith, what we believe about, um, you know, what is central and what's not central to the Christian faith, those are things that the Church will talk about perennially, right? But what do you do with somebody who is in Church and has believed all these things about Jesus and about Scripture and about God, and for whatever reason, they start saying to themselves, I'm not sure God is really good, or I'm not sure God really exists. What do you do about that person? We don't throw them out, but you recognize that this is actually a common expression of the life of faith, where people... See, sometimes you have to press reset in the life of faith, because what you've believed is so convoluted and so mixed up with other things and so hard to make sense of, and it's like layer upon layer upon layer of explanations and excuses about, you know, well, what we believe about God really is right, because, um, you know, we've always believed that, so your experience right now doesn't mean anything. Sometimes you just need to wipe the slate clean and say, I'm just not sure what I believe. I mean, I've had that experience, too. For, I mean, there was a period of time where I... I came to see that I was having difficulty believing in any sort of God, because the God that I was trying to believe in is the one of the past, of my past, and the way I had constructed God in my own image, and the way I had um, uh, you know, limited God according to my own theological structures. It's good to leave that God. And if for a time it looks like I'm just not sure if I believe God exists. Yeah, you know what? That's where people are sometimes. And you still embrace them, you still love them, and you still work with them as people who are within that broad spectrum of faith, rather than saying, well, you better get your act together before you come back to church. That's, that's a disaster, and I think that's very, very unwise. Another way to say it would be someone might ask, if I can't have certainty, how can I have trust? True. Absolutely right. And... Those two things are not opposite. They don't live in two separate universes. But there is a time when the certainty that we have, because our certainty is limited, because we're just people, and if we cling to some certainty at a particular point in our lives and say it's always going to be this way, we're going to be really knocked down on the side of the road when our lives change and what used to be so simple winds up being much more complicated, right? So there are times when, yes, certainly, you know, there's a sense of, of... of a, of a certitude, of a, of a conviction, let's say, that is deeply connected to the act of trusting God. But the thing is that trust, th- think about the Christian life as one where that trust can be there even when you're not sure, even when that certainty that you used to have washes away. And I think there are different, I mean, levels is the wrong way to put it, but I think there are different kinds of certainty I think there are some that maybe is more spiritually mature and developed, and there are other kinds of certainty that are less mature that I think we need to be made aware of so we can sort of grow out of them. Like, I mean, for example, um, 
in a child is absolutely certain that their father is the strongest person in the world, which is an expression of trust and of love from the child to the father. But life gets complicated. They grow, and they see that actually things are much more complicated than that. Um, it's good that that kind of certainty is giving way to something else. That's actually spiritual progress, not, not something bad. So, you know, that's, that's a point where the certainty is, is challenged, but do you still love your dad? Do you still love your parent? Do you still want to go forward? Do you want to try to understand? Yes. That's an act of trust when the certainty is not there anymore. What advice would you have for Christians to cultivate habits of trust in God? I think being around people who encourage it. I think being in tuned to the rhythms of life on a daily basis, where you're training yourself not to have to know everything <laughs> and be certain of things. I mean, that for me as an intellectual person, you know, because I write books and I teach and I do stuff like that, that's, that's maybe more of a pressing problem than for some others. But it's allowing yourself the freedom to walk this path of life. And enough things happen to you that if you take them in, you begin cultivating, hopefully, this habit of trust, which is not easy, right? But it's just listening to life's lessons where, I mean, as a small example, again, a family example, um, it's easy for parents to control the family environment when the children are very little. As they grow, it becomes very, very difficult. And then children start making choices that maybe the parents wouldn't want them to make. And you want them to go to this school, but they're very unhappy. They go to the school over there. You can't choose their friends. You really want them to be Shakespearean actors, but they're actually interested in baseball. The unit becomes more chaotic. And I'm speaking from experience here. I, I got to a point where I realized I'm miserable because I'm trying to control an outcome with my family. Right, I think it works that way in faith too. We become miserable. We 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 get to a point where we say, "I've had enough. I'm trying to control what God is like. I'm trying to control what other people think about God. I need to let go of it." It's sort of like become being an addict or an alcoholic. You get sick and tired of being sick and tired, and then you make a decision and move on. It's hard to cultivate that in other people. It's more something that has to be cultivated because of experience, and I'll say because of the experience of suffering. That usually does it. But to do that in the context of people who love and support you and don't judge you for that, I think that's very, very important. At the beginning of your last response, you characterize yourself as an intellectual person. In Chapter 5, there's a subsection entitled, Faith Isn't Something in Your Head or Heart. If faith isn't in either of those two places, then where would you place it? Yeah, that's sort of a snappy little title, isn't it? Yeah, faith isn't something in your head or in your heart. Faith is um, an action of community. It's an action where you are engaged in others. And for example, um, you know, a, a, a big issue that comes up in the New Testament is where faith is oftentimes best translated as faithfulness not faith. Faith sounds like an intellectual category almost. I have faith. Well, you know, tell me about your faith. Well, I believe that God exists. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that the Bible is God's Word. That Those are content words. When we say faith, and we usually line it up with content, like here's a list of things that I believe. If we look at the Bible, uh, you know, somewhat 
you know, maybe not even all that carefully, but just keep in mind the context and what's happening in some of these stories we read. Faith is is oftentimes best understood as faithfulness or trust and not something that we have. It's more an act that we do. See, trust is an act. It may be generated by feelings, and feelings are fine, but trusting someone is actually an act where someone giving their sick child over to Jesus to heal him. That's an act of trust. It's not an act of a belief. It's an act of trusting. Mm. And, um, you know, the, the problem is that, that sometimes in English, the word faith is a content word rather than, let's say, a relational word. And a trusted word. Even, see, even, uh, I mean, not to get too technical, but the Greek word for faith is pistis. And that word is, describes people. It also, that word also describes Jesus, and it describes God. And it describes them not, here's what they have, it's here's what they do. See, the pistis of Jesus is Jesus' faithfulness to go to the cross, right? So it's an act of a willingness to be aligned with the will of God and for the benefit of other people. That's faith in the New Testament. It's not the only thing that it means, but that's a dominant idea of what faith is. It's not just something that I have. I have faith. It's something that I have. Sometimes you don't, but you always have the option to trust and to do well by others. You have really really done well at anchoring that response in relationships, which I think is God's ultimate call to humanity, humanity to be in good relationship with each other, with God, with yeah. our environment, and so yeah. on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we we're not just it. individuals, we're communities, that's right. Yeah. Right. Now, certainty or trust, uh, that, that's, those two words are, are, are key to the whole book. But I want to ask a question that I think some folks might also be asking when they read this book. Do we risk transcending our own humanity by trying to guess which of those God wants? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I definitely appreciate that question. Um, you know, the, the, the subtitle of the book is meant to be a little bit provocative, and it's really, it's, a, it's for me, it's more of a statement of faith than, you know, ironically, you know, when I say why, why God desires our trust more than our, quote, correct beliefs, p- plenty of people have pointed out to me jokingly, they say, are you certain about that? <laughs> and my answer is, don't be a dummy. Uh, you know, it's it's a subtitle of the book. For me, it's a statement actually of faith. It's not of certainty. But you know, I could have said, I really, really believe that God desires our trust more than our correct beliefs. That's really what I believe. That That is what I have come to understand of God through my own life experiences. But I want to put the title in such a way that will make people stop and maybe even ask that very question, right, to really think through, is it an either-or? Is it a both-and? How do these two things work together? And how do you know? And the way that we know is not limited to our rational capabilities. See, that's a very important thing. The life of faith is one where reason plays obviously a large role. Like I said, I teach, I write, I argue. Reason is a good and wonderful thing. It's what makes us people. You know, no, no one's going to knock that, but it's not all that there is. We... We, we cannot subject the level of our religious commitment, let's say, to God on the basis of how well we understand or how certain we are of what we understand. We're talking about God. We're talking about, you know, the creator of the cosmos, which that alone should just make us stop and pause and think about, you know, what right do we have to claim things? 
what right do we have to say, I'm certain about how God works? See, again, even in the Bible, people were certain of how, what God does, and it winds up that there's a critique of that someplace else in the Bible. Even in the Bible, you know, biblical writers are really figuring out what it means to follow this God. And we're in no different place. We, we, we live in that world, too. Of That's why community is so important. We live in this world of walking by faith and trying to, you know, work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, so to speak. Right? And, and we don't always know where that's going. We simply don't. That's, I mean, that, that's not a daring statement. We don't always know where that's going. This has been a very enlightening conversation, Peter. Uh, thanks very much for sharing your insights. Thank you so much, Dan. Appreciate being on the uh, podcast. You can buy or borrow Peter Entz's book, The Sin of Certainty, at www.commonword.ca. You're invited to join me again in just four weeks for another episode of Church Matters. We're here for you at 8.45 a.m. on the third Sunday of every month. We love to hear from our listeners, whether it's by email, phone, or snail mail. Tell us what's on your mind via churchmatters at mennonitechurch.ca or mail us at 600 Shaftesbury Boulevard, Winnipeg, Manitoba, R3P0M4. We're also happy to receive your phone calls and always appreciate your financial support for this program at one 888 6785 or via the donate link at MennoniteChurch.ca I'm your host Dan Dick Know that you are called, equipped and sent to be the church in the world today Thanks for listening As you go out from here May the Lord go with you The face of God Shine on you every day We are sent by God Wherever we are living Salt and light As people of the way